You truly are the king of kings. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, fans of all ages. This is Keith from the Kings of Kings, and I am joined live in podcast form live uh, by our LA correspondent, Sean. Sean, are you there? I'm here. I'm in LA, Keith. So we have the great pleasure of having a podcast that has a on-the-spot correspondent, uh, really on the pulse of the LA King scene by uh, residing and taking in the LA scene. What's what's the atmosphere like down there, Sean? Uh, anticipation is high. Uh, the boys are getting ready. Practices uh, actually today they're in uh, they're in Vegas getting ready for the Frozen Fury. That's right. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of competition in camp right now for a couple roster spots. <laughs> um, so so you've been uh, <laughs> following closely the preseason and the uh, all the the different ins and outs, permutation, the the camp, the exhibition games, all the preseason. You've been following, you know, minute by minute, giving us amazing reporting. We just are finally now getting it into podcast form. So, um... Yeah, I can say with full confidence that the period and a half of preseason hockey that I've watched (laughs) gives an adequate handle on the current state of the LA Kings hockey franchise. And that's really fortunate because, um, about... One hour ago, when I turned on my computer and started looking on the internet, um, I I would say I'm almost as up to date with you on what's been happening with the Kings in the past few weeks, but uh, that limited scouring of the internet is probably not as comprehensive as the period and a half that you've actually watched. So uh, I'm glad we're we're flipping it to you to get some of the uh, you know the key stories. So I want to go you know into some of the individual players and and focus on who's really sticking out and who's skating well to you right now but um before we do that what are some of the kind of big uh big news stories that have come out from from king's camp and before we since our last recording which is uh you know early september well the biggest story is the self-deportation of slava voinov slava voinov elected instead of of going through an immigration hearing with ICE or having his contract terminated by the Kings or being traded, he elected instead to simply return to Russia. Now, I wish we had our other podcasts up so I could listen to the many scenarios you and I very carefully laid out of all the possible <laughs> permutations. Yeah. Because this was, this was in none of them. I'm pretty sure this is none of them. Um, I think even, you know... With our legal correspondent Matt, we we didn't come to the possibility of a self deportation situation. Um, well, I think the consensus from many people that I read online in the, in the legal community was that he <laughs> at, at, I mean this was earlier in in the, the legal proceedings, but that he was really in no danger of deportation. Right, and, and that was what once, Matt indicated. He, yeah, once he got out of prison quote-unquote prison um all of a sudden it was almost certain he was going to be deported i'm sorry once he got out of his stay in jail 
and then yeah. and then we found out that the ICE of the U.S. government was bringing him in for hearings. Then the the perspective was that he would likely be deported. I thought that that was just procedural. I think from what I had read was that it was not that it, yes it was procedural but also that they were aggressively um pursuing deportation well that is great news because as you and i have expressed many a times uh we don't think justice was properly served by him simply having a relaxed white collar stay in a fake prison with a reduced uh jail time serving a misdemeanor for abusing his wife um, and then having probation and days of actual uh, therapy or um, workshops that didn't seem to be to justify um, what he pled guilty to right and so the fact that our another wing of our government was so aggressively pursuing him to deport him which was I think a very slim hope of ours that that would happen at least for me I, I thought that would have been great if he was deported um, but we we didn't think it was very realistic especially from the legal side of things so we don't know if he would have been deported because he preemptively deported himself um, so here's, here's my question for yes. you is that is this the best case scenario well I think you brought up best case scenario in a purely calculated King's hockey realm would be that he came back to the Kings fully reinstated and had charges dropped, was not suspended, could play on the ice, and at that point the Kings would trade him for value. Um, I, I was always uncomfortable with that scenario just because it didn't feel like there was enough justice being served at any point, whether the league or the team or the United States government. So I think I, I, I was still uncomfortable with, with that trading scenario. And I actually think this is maybe the, the best case scenario. I, maybe it would have been better if he, if the government deported him and it was officially decided, but, um, that probably would have been messy, more drawn out, and I think the good news is that he seems to feel like he has made has some agency in this and has decided um, to do this so that he doesn't have resentment or you know some kind of like uh, weird relationship with the kings. It's almost like all parties were able to agree that this would be the best scenario remaining. And I'm hoping this is good for his wife and for his family. Um, I, I can't say at all what would happen in, the, in that realm, but I, I wonder if going back to Russia is, is better for them. So um, I do think this is a pretty excellent um, result. What do you think? I, I, I agree with you, and I think from a Kings hockey standpoint, the reason that this might be the best case scenario or the second, I mean, after like getting some sort of value for him, which I totally understand your reservations about from a moral and ethical standpoint. But I think the number one thing from the standpoint of the team is that this is, it's over. Yeah. Like it's just, well, 
let's let's be clear. Technically, the Kings retain his rights to the NHL. If you ever try to come back to the NHL, the Kings have his rights. Um, and however, his contract is essentially void, and so they're no longer paying any of his cap, which was a huge uh, component. Yeah, and I think that's what I think more than anything is the is the cap resolution because the Kings have been in such a messed up cap situation since this whole saga began last year. And to just to get that taken care of, yep, I a big relief for Lombardi and the management team. Right. So on on, on in that respect, I I agree with you that this is probably the best the the, the best outcome we were gonna get. And also in, be like, Kings. exactly, and 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 just because what maybe what the management wanted most of all was like certainty and some kind of essential like management decision to go forward even if it meant we were having to buy him out of his contract or we were having to trade him and retain half his contract at least that you would know how to plan for that you would know how you could spend other money on unrestricted free agents or unsigned free agents like the idea that now we know exactly where the contract status is and the roster status is very helpful, like you're saying. Um, a player on the Kings whose status is a little less certain, um, but is close to being fully resolved similarly, is... Are you talking about Mike Richards? I am talking about Mike Richards. Let's. Well, I, I gotta correct you there. Mike Richards is not a player on the Kings. Okay. Well, but but that but it, I think it's an important distinction because no matter what, Mike Richards is never coming back to the Kings, and he is he is a free agent. The question is whether or not we're going to pay him one amount or another amount. But well, Mike Richards, this is why this is why we have a, an LA correspondent like you, Sean, because I I need some clarification on this. Real quick recap: the Kings using um, some essential moral ethical grounds uh, cut Mike Richards terminated his contract for breach of contract uh, because of uh, a very sort of nebulous but um, vaguely reported uh, counter or border crossing with um, prescription drugs and he's currently being uh, legally investigated for whether or not he broke any laws I believe um, and so the Kings used this as a, a reason to, to terminate his contract. So at the moment, the Kings believe they have shed Mike Richards and his contract and his troubles from their team. Other moral and ethical questions abound with that. Um, but if the Players Association, which is um, deciding to challenge or has not yet decided to challenge, wins their challenge to this termination would he not then have his contract reinstated no it would just mean that we would have to pay basically instead we would have we would have to buy him out gotcha or, so we, or it would be treated as if we had bought him out but his you. contract is now no longer valid okay the question, whether or not was it invalidated for a good reason or not gotcha that is very helpful so the 
there is some uncertainty as to how much money we're paying him and how much of a cap hit there would be. Correct. Yeah, that's that's the only mystery here, basically, is whether or not we're paying. If if his contract was voided for a good reason, then we end up paying something like one million dollars a year for the next three years or something. If his contract was not void, was voided for a bad reason, and we instead have to operate as if we had bought him out, it then it's it's a whole other regime of what we have to pay, where it's like one million. 1.5 for like a couple of years and then it goes up to like four million dollars for two or three years yeah, yeah. It, it gets it gets really complicated as to the math of what we'd have to pay if it were a buyout needless to say if the if if the if the voiding the termination of the contract holds up the team saves a lot of money right and right now we're in a sort of limbo there's a, a date set that we don't have on the top of our heads um at which what will be decided uh, in in theory, it will be decided on whether or not uh, Mike Richards, in fact, did materially breach his contract. Okay, so it's, I, that, it's, that's what I think. I, I'm not. It's one of those things with like, like this legal stuff. Like it, it might be a hearing to set another date at which they meet again and set another date. I mean, this stuff can take forever and ever and ever. I don't know. Because I think there's an option to expedite this. Oh, we need our legal correspondent, Matt, on the phone. Right. All right. Well, um, I think we've done justice to certain elements of the justice system. Uh, are you ready to move on to uh, more on-the-ice uh, interesting issues moving looking forward? Oh, God, please. <laughs> uh, Frank... We, we did a good job moving forward through that. Those are big, those are big uh, stories that we unfortunately uh, had to cover as they popped up since our last podcasting. So, uh, sticking with forward news, but also remaining in the negative, there have been unfortunately some, some, uh, some pieces of bad news coming out of King's Camp. Is that correct? That is correct. We've had two injuries... Uh, both upper body injuries to Matt Green and Jake Muzzin. So Jake Muzzin had two inju- injuries, and they're from Matt Green. Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, Matt Green beat the shit out of Jake Muzzin. No, um, they both. It was it was unclear as to what the injuries were, as it almost always is. The on the on the bright side, it's looking like Muzzin is probably gonna play. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I also have a sense, just in general, that preseason injuries always seem worse than they are, only because if you know if they bang up a shoulder or something, or they're getting you know if it's a bone bruise or whatever, you might as well take them out. Yeah, exactly. There's no pressing concern. It's not like it's the playoffs where you got to play through it. You know, if they got to, they'll probably end up sitting you for more days with an injury in the preseason than they would in the season. So I'm not, I'm not that worried right of course this is unfortunately three straight preseasons where jake muzzin has been injured um and matt green is becoming a brittle older man who seems to be injured uh every few games so not great and not a good track record to follow but um it is what it is and it it could be worse um what's so we We've talked about some of the new additions to the Kings. Um, 
that were contractually picked up or traded for um, over the course of the offseason. Tell us, Sean, how Christian Erhoff, Jonas Enroth, Milan Lucic, um, and any others, uh, you know, Peter Budai, how these acquisitions looked. Um, Well, I actually just read, I think Peter Budai just got sent to he got sent down i think or he got cut i can't remember but um i think budai is not practicing with the team right now mm-hmm. um from what i've read and a little bit i've seen of Aerov, he looked a little out of place in this in our system ah. but i think that's again it's i think that's to be expected with as uh, did jake muzzin better. when he first arrived exactly i mean it's, pre- it's preseason it's hard to really nail this stuff down um Lucic has looked fine. He got into apparently like a half an hour long fight the other night right. with Blair, um, which is to be expected from you know a tough guy trying to make an impact on his team. Uh, yeah, so not the worst thing, I guess. No, it's 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 fine. The the, the issue is whether or not he's going to end up really gelling with Kopitar and Gabrick, um, considering that they have played I think only two games together. Really with line yeah because Kopitar's been in and out of the lineup uh Lucic has played one Gabrick's been in and out of the lineup Lucic played a game without Kopitar and Gabrick the other night I think he was skating with Carter and Pearson or something um so I I think it's it's kind of it's it's too early to to tell with the with with the chemistry of what is supposed to be our our top line and we all know how uh, Daryl Sutter likes to put lottery balls in the jumbler and just see whatever comes out for his line combinations. Yeah, I mean, hope, hopefully, if, if nothing else, that 70s line will stick together for most of the, the season. That's the, I mean, that's the hope. Let me jump um, in here, Sean. Yeah. Do you think, assuming Gabrick, Kopitar, and Lucic are an intact line, and assuming that Pearson, Carter, and Toffoli as the 70s line, are another consistent, intact line. Do you think the 70 line, 70s line is, in fact, our number one line? Well, it depends on how you define number one line, right? I mean, because this is something that um, Sutter's talked about a, lot, about a lot. Is the number one line just the line you start at the beginning of the game? Is the number one line the line that gets the most minutes, the most points? How do you define it? Mm-hmm. Because I guess on some level it doesn't really matter right so I mean if they if they end up scoring more points as a line then if the 70s line scores more points than Gabriel Kopi and Lucic then yeah they're our number one line I don't don't even think so what if the the 70s line has more points but the the Kopitar line has more minutes I think I think minutes is a good way of measurement okay I mean I, I, I I could I could see a case for either, but on some level, if the Kopitar line has more minutes and more and like harder quality of competition, and the seventies line has more points, then it's basically it's a one A one B situation. Yeah, which is what you love to have. Let me put it this yeah. way, um, and I'll tell you what I think. What if the Kings have to put out uh, their line first? So that's in a, when the Kings are the away team, they have to put out their players on the ice first and then the home team gets to respond. 
if it's late in the game, the Kings need a goal, let's say we're down by one, and uh, we everyone's rested after a timeout, um, who, and it's a, a start in the other team's end, so it's an offensive start for us, Who, which line would you, or would you think Daryl Sutter, Sutter would start? I would start the 70s line. Mm-hmm. Part, part of me thinks Daryl Sutter would start, like, Trevor Lewis, the Trevor Lewis line, because he loves Trevor Lewis. But at the so same you. time, it's it's a, you can almost ask the inverse of the question. I think, and this kind of speaks to the one A and one B. I think if you have to score a goal, you put up the Carter line. Imagine the other way though, where you have you're up by one goal, and the other team is pushing, and you have to prevent a goal. I think you put up the Kopitar line. Yep. And actually, I think they're a beautiful complementary one A one B because I think. Um, Although Carter is rounding out to become more defensive, and although um, you know Gabrick is becoming a bit more defensive-minded on on the other line, I think Kopitar is seen as an excellent defensive center who can also play offense and who you'd love to essentially line up against every other team's top line, whether it's a. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! I'm like, I've been out of hockey so long. I'm like the guy from Chicago uh, who won the Stanley Cup. Did, did Jonathan Taves? Jonathan Taves, or that other that other guy in Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby. Yeah, um, I think I think you know Kopitar lines up against those top wingers and that's or centers because you're confident he can defend them. And so he's, he's a great yeah. responsive first pairing. But the beauty of having the Jeff Carter 70s line is we're, more, we're becoming more comfortable with his ability to defend. But also, if you want to like force the other team's hand into playing their best line, they'll probably have to put Taves out against Carter in a defensive situation um, because they're becoming that good and that balanced and that deadly of a line. So I do think that one is a little bit more, if you're winning um, and you need to defend and in your own, you're in your own zone, then Kopitar is a great start. If you need goals or if you're in the offensive zone or if um, you, know, you might be able to pick on uh, the other team's more weak lines, uh, then the Carter line is a great line to put out there. I, I totally agree with you 100%. I'm but doing I think an so- air high five through the internet to you right now. Nice. But here's the thing. I think the real question is, and this is the question with any championship caliber team, it's not the top two lines, right? Because every championship... I like caliber, where you're going, Sean. I like where you're it's going. The, it's the depth line. It's 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 the it's the third and fourth lines win championships. Not because they score the most goals, because they go out and don't make idiots out of themselves. You can put them on the ice, and they'll be responsible. They won't give up too much they probably won't get too much but they are more or less there to rest your top Sean stop teasing me can we please start playing armchair GM and picking our number three and number four offensive lines okay hit me okay I think our number three line you're gonna have Dustin Brown on it I think you should have Dwight King on it and I think it should be centered by Trevor Lewis. Um, okay. 
I think Trevelu should be treated as a center in large part because we've lost two veteran centers in Mike Richards and Jarrett Stoll, who have been playing center for much of last year. Nick Shore replaced one of them. Um, and I think Nick Shore should be our other center. Um, but that's getting ahead of myself. Or I'll just say it. So then I think if our, if, if, if our third line is Lewis, King, and Brown, which is kind of like veterans who've been around a while, um, who have different things that they offer, I think our fourth line could be Shore, Nolan, and Clifford. Right. Which is more or less how we... Well, I mean, it's more or less how we ended the season a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Right? Except the Andy drop. So here's... But here's the question. So do you... Do you have... We have three forwards currently at camp that are all kind of vying for third or fourth spot. You've got Andy Andrioff, third mm-hmm. or fourth center spot. Andy Andrioff, Jordan Wheel, and O'Neal. Right? Aside from Nolan and Shore. Because Shore's uh, not... A, Shore is not well, a no, lock... I, I, so there's a great article from Jules on the Jules from the Crown. Um, it's called "You Be the GM, Pick Your 23 Man Roster," and I recommend everyone check them out. Uh, that, they write that just for you. I think so. Um, I mean, I, I did pay them a bit. You know, I sponsored the article, uh, so no, I didn't. But it's it's really helpful because it tells you the 17 players who are locked onto the roster and then 11 players who are competing for five or six spots. Mm -hmm. And they're saying that, you know, Clifford is a lock, as are Brown, King, and Lewis for those um, third and fourth lines. So the ones that are competing for those remaining forward spots, assuming we go 17 forwards, are Nolan, Andrioff, Shore... Wheel, Mersh, and O'Neill. Lowry's gonna get. Well, Lowry's just injured, so. So you know, uh, and then there's some interesting elements because um, Nick Shore is can clear waivers and be sent down, um, as is uh, you know, some of the other. Uh, I guess Mersh is technically defensive. Um, no, no, Ner- no, Mersh is also a forward. Yeah, Mor- Mersh yep. and um, Shore can go be sent back down. Um, O'Neill and Wheel are not waiver exempt, so if we put them on the team and then want to send them down, uh, they would uh, have to clear waivers and would probably be claimed by another team. So that's very risky. Yeah, because the the two guys you just mentioned are the AHL regular season MVP and the AHL uh, playoff MVP, respectively. Right. And I believe Andriov and Nolan both are uh, not waiver exempt, so they could not get sent back down. So I think it's pretty clear that Andriov and Nolan are also on that that starting roster um, or start opening day lineup. Maybe Andreev is is not dressed. But, uh, so how do you handle, let's say, 
the Nick Shore, Wheel, O'Neill, and Mersh situation? Well, I think... I, and I ask you because you're our <laughs> L.A. correspondent who's been following the team and attending, you know, and, you know, you've got your finger on the pulse. Well, I would say, from the little that I've watched and the lot that I've read, Mersh has impressed a lot of people, mm-hmm. including myself. The little bit that I saw of him, he looked fantastic for a young guy. What do you like about uh, him? Oh, I mean, it's just he just barrels towards the net. He's big body. He's a big guy. I mean, he ha- and he's got good hands, too. Is he left-handed, and right-handed? He is left-handed, I think. And is he on a wing? Uh, yeah. I think he was playing right wing. Gotcha. As a, um, I might be wrong about that. But uh, he, he though, like you're saying, he is, he is waiver exempt. So he can be sent down, which means he probably will be sent down. I don't think he would take the spot of someone who's not waiver exempt. Right. So I think he's going down, which is probably a good thing. It'll be a mid-season call-up at some point. Yep. But I think of the of the short wheel O'Neill triumvirate, mm-hmm. one of them. Well, I th- one of the, someone's going to get traded. I think yep. because both Wheel and O'Neill are not going to both make the team. And like you're saying, you're absolutely right. One of them, if they both get sent down, they're both going to get claimed. So somebody's got to get traded. Yep. Um, so I would not be surprised if we saw that within the next few days. And hopefully it could be for a good return. I think they're both good, young, skilled players. The, the, the problem is, I think both of them, I know definitely Wheel is a smaller guy. Wheel for, is 5'10". For, for King. Yeah. Yeah, but he, and he's on the small 5'10", too. Like, he's not the big, hulking Dwight King mold that the Kings love so much. Right. So Which, to me... Kind of breaks my because I would always I always really wanted like a third or fourth line made up of undersized, small, speedy, small, small. skilled. Yeah, basically, yeah. In, in our in our Nintendo hockey world, a small, small, small line that can just speed around and buzz and be you know irritants and and pot a few goals here and there instead of just like the the big hulking mm-hmm. shutdown line that our third line has more or less been for the past few seasons. So you'd like to see a Trevor Lewis, Jordan Wheel, Ian LaPerriere line? Yes. <laughs> Although I don't know if I qualify if, if uh, Trevor Lewis qualifies as skilled. <laughs> but no, no, but you know what I mean. Like he's not a he's not a skilled. Guy I know, but he could definitely okay. run around collecting pucks and handing them off to skilled players. Okay, yeah. so. Um, well, the big difference is that Jordan Wheel is very young and is impressing very quickly, whereas Brian O'Neill is 27 years old and has never played in the NHL. So yeah. it's, it's more likely that he could clear waivers and not be picked up or um, could be traded. Um, but uh, you wouldn't be in risk of, of losing a lot of, future potential. Jordan Wheel has a lot of future potential, so I could see him not starting on the team so that he can continue to develop, maybe improve his trade value further further down the line, because frankly, I don't think there's a place for Jordan Wheel on our team with Kopitar hopefully re-signing and Carter re-signing. It seems like he's just a number one or two center, and it, I don't right. see him having a place. Nick Shore seems like a great third line center moving forward, 
and between Lewis and Andrioff, I think our fourth line center is covered. Um, Trevor Lewis obviously can also play center. So I think we have a good sense of, of our forward situation. I did mention Andre Kopitar. What are your thoughts on his continued lack of contract? Well, I think the resolution of the Slava Voinov fiasco um, hopefully can push that forward. But I, I, have, I have no idea. I, I can make no prediction on whether or not it's going to get done before Wednesday. If that's in, Which in I fact, heard is yeah. what Kopitar wants. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know, because he had said he didn't want to negotiate over the course of the season, and I don't know if he, by the course of the season, does he mean he is stopping negotiations on Wednesday, if he's going to let it bleed into the season, or or what. So, uh, I mean, I, I, I have 100% confidence it will get done at some point. The question is, when is it going to get done, and what's the, what's the cap hit, and what's the term? Do you think Lombardi wants to wait for the Richards thing to be fully resolved? Um, I imagine he would want to wait. I don't know if he has that option, though. Yeah, I don't think because, he can. Yeah. Because it's unclear about when that resolution is going to be reached. Right, as you pointed out. I think, I don't know what's taking so long. I think, I think the Kings, I, this is my thought, is that the Kings, they want him, they really want to build a franchise around him, they'll pretty much give him whatever he wants, and they want it also done before Wednesday because they could not imagine the idea of losing him to free agency um, after waiting, you know, the full season. Because like, you don't want to go the entire year and then try to resume talks um, in the window between the season ending and free agency because that could totally change things. So I think the Kings want to get a deal done and they're just trying to negotiate and get something team-friendly and uh, are going to go up until Wednesday, and then if the Kopitar camp and the agent says, we're not budging from our eight-year blank offer, they can still be like, okay, then we'll take it. Yeah. And I'm hoping that's what happens. Can you imagine the insanity if both Kopitar and Samkos reached free agency? No, but... Even a magnet? It would... It would be the it would be the only silver lining if Kopitar doesn't sign is to essentially have Stamkos shielding him, because if Stamkos signs, Kopitar instantly becomes the most desirable free agent. Even if if Stamkos is out there, Kopitar is extremely desirable, maybe more so to some teams than Stamkos. So, oh, I I don't want to think about it. I. He's to me the heart of the Kings, and I don't want to lose him. I totally agree with you. I think it. I don't think it'll get done before Wednesday, but I think it'll get done. I hope so. All right, let's really quickly talk about the defense, and then we will sign off uh, this episode. Um, right now, our uh, we've got two defensemen injured, as we mentioned, Muzzin and Green. We let's pretend Muzzin's back in the lineup for opening day. So Dowdy and Muzzin play together. I'm a little unsure how the the next two pairings would work. Martinez and Green traditionally played together, and McNabb was sort of floating around with others. Um, so let's say McNabb and Erhoff are paired. I don't know if you've got any further research on how these pairings work, but um, 
I think that's basically what it's going to be. Okay, so if Erhoff and McNabb are probably our third pairing, Martinez would be with Green, but Green, let's say, is injured, so that opens up another spot. The players competing for that spot, as well as our seventh defenseman, are McBain, Forbert, Schultz, and Loverde. Uh, it sounds like it'd be Forbert, only because he seems like he's just kind of the heir apparent. But from what I understand, he's not he's not kind of blown the doors off the place, as people were hoping. Right. I think what it actually is going to end up being, I think it's going to be Dowdy and Muzz in this top pair. I think the second pair is going to be Erhoff and McNabb. In terms, if we're going to go by the, num- the pairing number as minutes played, I think it's going to be Erhoff and McNabb. And then it's going to be Martinez and Green. Okay. But or, t- or possibly maybe Forbert for opening night again. It, it's gonna it, because a lot of that's gonna depend on what happens with all the uh, the young centermen. Is uh, how many players are we gonna be yeah. carrying? Okay, are we so be if, carrying two bonus defensemen or one bonus? Defenseman? So who's your seventh defenseman if Forbert is is coming up and while Green is injured? Probably Schultz. Okay, so then. So here's the deal, is that Forbert is waiver-exempt, so he could go back down. McBain and Schultz are not waiver-exempt. So oh, well, in that case, maybe you send down Forbert. Yeah, I think you treat him like you've treated a lot of defensive prospects, which is let them like really force their way into the lineup maybe midway through the year. I'm certain we're going to have, unfortunately, more injuries where you know he can pop up. Um, but the way I see it, with Green injured, then that's a perfect opportunity for Schultz to take his place. And you and I know how much we love Jamie McBain. Um, I think he becomes a, an excellent either defenseman waiting in the wings as our seventh defenseman, or maybe you know starts the season playing with playing on one of these lines. And then when Green comes, um, you know maybe he moves. I don't know. But, um, yeah, it sounds like because of this waiver issue and our, our love for playing GM that you, you might have to consider the fact that we could lose McBain or Schultz. Yeah, I, I, I'm coming around to your reasoning. I think, yeah, maybe you, you can set Forbert down. I mean... Okay, so then <laughs> if Green is back and you have to then send down one of these... Uh, McBain or Schultz back down, who do you send down? I think McBain. So you keep Schultz on that? I, I mean, again, it, it's easy it, It's easy to make a guess right now, but it's going to depend entirely on how they play, it, 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 depending on the length of Green's injury, um, how, how they play during the regular season, because like, one of them could play the other one out of the building. You know what I mean? Yep. So... It, uh, it's hard to make that guess right now, but my instinct says keep Schultz because it seems like he's the more defensively responsible of the two. McBain's a little bit more offensive, and especially if you're going to pair him with a guy like Martinez who already has a more offensive upside. It seems like, you know, if we're going to go with the classic stay-at-home defenseman yeah. paired with puck-moving offensive, you'd want to keep Schultz. But, yeah. I mean, who knows? Who knows right now? Who knows? I do think with Erhoff slotting in with McNabb, it's it's a nice compliment once everyone's healthy, especially with Wynel gone. So 
I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable enough with our defensive pairings. Um, Sean, gotta, gotta sign off. Any final words before the Kings Wednesday opener against your favorite San Jose Sharks? Uh, tonight's the Frozen Fury. Uh, I wish I was there. I wish you were there. I wish we were there. Well, we have, um, and you one, know, Ted is there in we... spirit. Huh? Ted is there in spirit, as is uh, my sister. And, um... Oh, so jealous. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, very excited for that game. And uh, I just, uh, all I want, all I want is for the season to start and for us to just talk about actual hockey and not contracts, not legal issues, not immigration issues. I just want to talk about hockey. That is, that is, that's my, my dream right now. And I think it's about to become reality. Yeah. And I think, I think the Kings just decided to put all of their blech, garbage, crap, terrible, you know, blackness into one pit of a season and call it the 2013-14 season. Um, or wait, wait no. Or 2014-15 season. Yeah, let, let's not be spurts the name of oh, the... Uh, that incredible 13. Stanley Cup champion season. Uh, so that, the 2015-16 season, could be the Phoenix rising from those ashes. Yeah. All right, Sean, it's been great. Signing off. As always, until next time. Go Kings, go. Now